are listening to Maghribian Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology and many other subjects. This episode is part of the Modern Art in the Maghrib series and was recorded on January 25th, 2022. This is part of the larger Council of American Overseas Research Centers program financed by the Andrew Mellon Foundation that seeks to collaborate with local institutions for greater awareness of art historical research in North Africa. In this episode, Katarzyna Vaneska, lecturer in art history at Newcastle University and project coordinator at the Centre d'études Maghrébines à Tunis, CEMAT, interviews Katarzyna Pipschak, professor of French and comparative literature and chair of Arabic studies at Williams College, about her research on museums, cultural infrastructures and multiple publics in Morocco. To see related slides, please visit our website www.themagribpodcast.com Hello, my name is Katarzyna Falenska and it is my great pleasure to welcome Professor Katarzyna Pieprzak on our podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's such a pleasure. A lot of uh, your research is dedicated to museums and cultural infrastructures in Morocco. And I wonder if we could start with the title of your first book published in 2010 and titled Imagined Museums, Art and Modernity in Postcolonial Morocco. What are these imagined museums that you mention in the title? Thank you so much. So I think that the book really started when I was talking to artists and various friends and colleagues in Morocco and there was a very uh, negative discourse about the existence of museums, that they weren't there, that there was no such thing as a museum in Morocco, when in fact, there was at that time, a rather modest uh, museum system that has since grown. And so I wanted to think about museums in the most capacious sense, and think about how people imagine them or not, and how artists do this work that might be seen as imaginary, but actually exists. So it was an indirect conversation with André Malraux, but it was sort of thinking about, again, how do we build institutions of art and memory and what work of the imagination is present? Um, so the book itself, you know, the first section really looks as, at physical infrastructures and tries to rebuild a museum history in Morocco. I think that since the book came out, there've been other studies and there are many other museums to look at. So, but it was a sort, for me at least, it was a first step. And then the second half of the book is really about more imaginative definitions of the museum. So how do cultural journals do the work of museology? How do art collectives, especially in their engagement with publics, build museological infrastructures? Um, so that's sort of where the imagined part came in. Could you also speak about what were the hopes and expectations directed at museums after 1956, the year that Morocco became an independent uh, country? What were the visions for museums at that point as sites of public engagement and exchange? So I think that it depends who you talk to about who those hope, what those hopes were. And the way I entered into my research at first um, was I met with the former director of museums, Ali Amahan, and he had worked with his wife at the archaeological museum before independence. 
And then at some point, you know, they had, after 1956, a lot of the museum administrators remained in place. And so he continued, he and his wife, um, Catherine Amahan, they continued their work and then he eventually moved into the position of sort of director of the museum in Fez and then director of museums in Morocco. And when you talk to him, there were great aspirations. There was a, a sense of, you know, how do we uh, rethink this country's patrimony? Um, how do we decolonize um, narratives? How do we even repair sort of broken transmissions of memory? Um, something that other artists and cultural um, agents in the country had been working, like Ahmed Buenani, like just thinking about what could this museum do? And he tried to engage with the public quite deeply, especially in Fez, and he this isn't in the book, but he told me about various initiatives where he wanted people to come into the museum and sort of reclaim this patrimony as theirs. And he said he had an initiative where they painted different like hands of Fatima around the Medina with arrows and hoping to bring people in. And that was a very, that was a big challenge for him and was also a challenge because of the way the Ministry of Culture shifted hands so often and how funding towards museums was quite minimal and was part of a larger arts budget that often went to literature or other arts uh, institutions, depending who was the minister. And there's a beautiful book by my Moroccan colleague called um, La Politique Culturelle, and I'm, I'll, I'll add that to the bibliography, um, where she goes into great depth into looking in the archives of the ministry and seeing how funding was allocated. So, a bit rambling, but essentially there's a sense of, you know, what can these institutions do for us? And also how can they showcase a vibrant and living culture? During the colonial period, museums really engaged with this French narrative that Moroccan culture was somehow slumbering or asleep or in decay. And we can go into that whole discourse in depth, but essentially there was a sense that no, actually Moroccan culture is vibrant. And so when you look at the way in which visual artists are talking about museums after um, independence, they're looking for a platform to really showcase their work. And their work is not just aesthetic, but deeply cultural and, and social. So they're thinking about how can their art transform society and how can the museum work with that as well. And to what extent were museums in Morocco after 1956 actually open to modern art? In your book, you speak about the role of artists such as Ahmed Sharkawi, who are really advocating for the construction of a modern art museum. So again, if you read what they wrote or you interview them and Holiday, Holiday Powers is uh, about to publish a book that goes much more deeply into the Casablanca school and their um, relationship to arts institutions. They want a museum of modern art that can recognize the work that they're doing. So they want an institution that functions as a, as a site of recognition and also of amplification of their work. And they're saying, no, there's nothing like that. So there is a system of galleries in place, the Atelier Gallery, the Babel Ruch Gallery, which becomes, it's a state-funded gallery, which has some exhibits of what they call like young Moroccan painting. But the infrastructures are not copious and artists are finding themselves very frustrated. So they want actual physical museums that are going to invest in, in their work and show it. 
And I find this concept of imagined museums really evocative. And I want to ask you also, what were some of the contexts that you actually looked at during your research outside from the physical uh, museum structures? So I ended up um, in trying to piece together, you know, some archival work. And, and I was working in, at the time, it was the National Archive in Rabat, where they had runs of newspapers. So all the periodicals, all the daily newspapers were there. And so I was trying to piece together what did exist beyond sort of the, um, the state-run museums and galleries and how do we enter into those archives. And one way that I did it was through daily newspapers. And so I looked at runs of newspapers to see where artists were showing and how they were being talked about in the press. And that sort of methodological beginning made me think, wow, there's a whole discursive world that's doing the work of museums actually. And so that turned into this chapter about the discursive museum. And so there I look at some of the, you know, just national press coverage of different shows and artists' work and lives. But then I really look at cultural journals such as Souffle that turns into Anfas, um, Integral, which was uh, founded by Mohammed Malehi and Lam Alif, and the way in which they function as types of museums. So what do I mean by that? So Barbara Kirschenbach-Gimblet has this beautiful description of museums as this kind of, um, the way in which they suspend time and they, they pull objects out. And I love this idea of suspension and they reorganize history and time and aesthetics and different narratives. So I argue in the book that that's what cultural journals are doing too. And sometimes it's not even a, like a metaphorical stretch. Like in Integral, they would publish, you know, colored, glossy reproductions of paintings. There'll be interviews with artists, there'll be artist statements, and there'd be a sense that this is to be collected as well. So at some point, the journals themselves become sort of sites of collection um, and archival work. You know, it's a way for the writers and artists of the time to create an archive beyond their own personal archive or the archives of like the schools where they're teaching. Um, so that's how uh, the imagined museum came in for me. But then it went beyond that post-independence period and years of lead to the 90s where there seems to be just this flourishing of arts activities and what Abdullah Karoum then calls this new generation or generation zero. And so when I was doing research, you know, various trips to Morocco, I had a chance to meet with artist collectives that were really engaged in building up institutions of art. So that's La Source du Lyon in Casablanca with Hassan Darcy and Florence Renault. But then also I was looking at these like really exciting gallery spaces like Karoum's at the time, um, Appartement 22. And seeing how they were also doing this work of imagining spaces. And if you go into the Appartement 22, like the, the physical archives that are on the bookshelves now, and there's been a lot of work to build up like an art historical record. And I think that, you know, thanks to institutions like that, like that's just become more, um, I don't know, they're, they're just more sites, archival sites around Morocco to think about you know, what's happening in visual art. 
I know you've also worked on community museums and uh, specifically museums that preserve um, memories that are considered to belong to a minority group. How has your research on these spaces influenced um, your broader thinking about museums in Morocco? Absolutely. So in 2011, I did a short residency with La Source du Lyon. And during that residency, part of it was to talk to university students at the uh, Université Hassan II in Benemsik. And Benemsik is a, is a marginalized uh, neighborhood in Casablanca. It was the site of one of the largest shanty towns um, and also the site of great uh, political activism and militancy and um, articulation of rights. So it's, it's a poor neighborhood and they built a university campus there. And in going there, I met with uh, one of the professors, uh, Samir Al-Azhar, and he told me about the work that he'd been doing around a community museum. And Ali Amahan has also founded a community museum in Aids Iqtel and it won an Aga Khan Prize. And, um, and that was you know, a museum that also functioned as a cultural center, as a site of technology, et cetera, et cetera. But what was so interesting about Benin Sikh, and, and I keep coming back to it, um, is the fact that this museum, as opposed to having arts objects at the center of its collection, and Ali Amahan's museum was about the transmission of memory around artisanal work and, and carpet weaving and so on and so forth. But in Benemsik, it was about stories and oral history. So the museum was founded through this work that he and his students did in collecting oral histories of former residents of the shanty town. And it was a valorizing oral history. So Benemsik was always represented as a site of terrorism by the state or, you know, and they wanted to, you know, write a history from below that would capture a different sense of life and also how people celebrate religious holidays and the artifacts that matter to them. Um, so they had, they created this database of about 20, I believe, to 30 oral interviews. And that was the basis. And then what was so beautiful was that uh, they wanted, you know, they entered into extended and sustained conversations. And so that's really interesting to me in my thinking is like, what are these museums doing and for whom and why? And personally, this idea of like sustained relationships with the public is super intriguing and important, especially when the relationship between state and public is so fraught in Morocco and can undergo different sort of transformations depending on political moments, right? So here he is collecting these oral histories that are coming from people that have been sort of disavowed by the state in some ways. And then they entered into this relationship where it was more reciprocal. So they asked community members, what can we do for you? And they're like, well, we'd like some computers. We'd like some computer training. And so the museum started off as this kind of cultural center almost, but then people started bringing in objects from their homes. And what was so fascinating about it is that these are like really modest objects. It would be like, this is the suitcase that came with my mother when she and our family emigrated from the South to work in Casablanca in the thirties. Would you like to keep it? And so you have this incredibly emotionally rich collection of objects, including inkwells and tea sets, um, that would never make it into a national museum. 
And so I, this is the kind of things that I get very excited about. And I think in addition to Ben and Seek, so now they have a collection of objects <laughs> um, and they've done work trying to sort of give them labels and contextualize them. So that's been really interesting. And then the last museum that I'll just quickly talk about that I've done less work on, but that I'm really just so excited by and impressed with is the uh, Musée Collectif for Casablanca, which is run by, again, an arts collective, Atelier de l'Observatoire, um, who's one of whose leaders, Mohamed Faraj, was also involved with La Source du Lyon as an artist, and Léa Morin is involved with them. And they're doing the same kind of like rethinking of what matters and taking objects that might be seen as disposable and giving them a vitrine. So when we think about minoritized memory, you know, we can think about people and ethnic minorities, but we can also think about objects that have been discarded or people. And so I was um, involved with Virginie Ray's edited volume, which is wonderful, called The Art of Minorities and Cultural Representation of Minoritized Cultures in North Africa and the Middle East. And in that volume, um, there's an article by a colleague which talks about Moroccan populations as the actual minority of museums, as opposed to you know, like whether other articles talk about, let's say, Jewish populations or looking at Coptic museums, but she's saying actually the Moroccan population at large is the minority audience, and that's Francesca Dimicelli. And uh, you yourself have also been involved uh, with communities on the ground in museum spaces. Um, I know that in 2019 in Rabat, you led and organized this workshop on the affect in museums. I wondered if you could speak about this experience and also more broadly about ways of translating your research um, on the ground to work with different publics. Absolutely, thank you. So that was one of the most enjoyable and rewarding experiences that I've had um, in sharing my research. So I was invited by Le Cube, which is a small gallery right next to the big Mohammed VI Museum of Modern and Contemporary Arts in Rabat. And it's a space that has, it's quite small and it hosts a variety of exhibits, but also different types of public engagement projects. So we decided to do a two-day event where, first of all, we talked about the many forms that museums can take. And there were about 60 people in the audience. And we did one of these sort of like group thinking, very American style, um, sort of post-it note activities where I said like, what would, you, what would you want a national museum to include? And some of the answers were just, and then we talked about it. We put it all up on the wall and we just talked about it. And what was so interesting was how we got to pretty deep conversations about the work that museums can do for different publics. So there were some younger people in the audience who were like, I want a place to go where I can feel like I can go with loved ones, right? Or I can go and so they're like benches and love and, you know, um, and other folks who are like, I wanna talk, I want to have a, the museum be a site where we can discuss things in a safe space, where we can talk about terrorism. And I was like, wow. So, that was like this very sort of expansive conversation. And then the following day, there was a smaller group of about 15 people who, some were architecture students and architects and, um, and other um, scholars and um, curators. And we decided to do this affective um, exercise where we talked about affect and what is affect and how 
how can affect become another pathway to different epistemologies and different ways of knowing? Um, and so what we did was we went through a term, you know, so affect is like that pre-linguistic emotive state. So it's really about measuring intensities. So with a set of sort of directions that we kind of co, you know, created, we said, okay, we're going to the museum around the corner, which is the renovated archeological museum. And we're going to measure where we feel different intensities in this space. And then we're going to try and give them terms. So we had a list in French and English, and we had added a few Moroccan words as well, Moroccan Arabic words, uh, to think about like what we actually feel once we discover we feel something intensely. And then when we came back, we did this mapping project. And I think what was really interesting about that is that you know, a space such as an archeological museum, one doesn't immediately go to the idea of emotion when one thinks of archeology. span I mean, archeologists might, <laughs> but general publics don't often associate that. But entering that space in this different sort of modality was really interesting. And it led us very quickly to maybe more political discussions about inclusion and about what it means to identify with a region and a nation. And then as I, write in this afterward for um, Virginie Ray's book, what was super interesting was the way it quickly brought us to a discussion of dignity. And there's a, there's a model cast of two skeletons, a burial cast in the museum, and everyone wanted to talk about it. And it didn't matter whether it was plaster or if it was real at a certain point. The idea was here are two skeletons that are underneath the staircase. And that was found deeply troubling and unsettling and we just kept talking about why and it ended up being this sort of discussion about well where how are humans valued in this society and so on and so forth and that brought us back to these concepts of dignity and karama so you know at the end of that I think we all felt pretty energized and we started thinking about like what it, this was part of a new methodology series that Maud Hussey and Fatima Zaha Lakrisa were running and so we're thinking about like what, you know, and oftentimes like there's a whole uh, trend in museology where you go in and you press buttons, right? Like, oh, I feel happy when I see this. And it's all these like bells and whistles that you can find in, in some big museums, um, especially well-endowed museums, like in the United States and Europe. And so it wasn't about like, oh, should that be something that Moroccans should have? Like this kind of technology to constantly register emotion. But it was more about, like what can museums do to engage people deeply about their past? And, you know, again, it wasn't just questions of dignity or um, exclusion that came up, but like pride. There was a lot of talk about like what it means to see these objects and technologies um, on display. So I found that when I wrote the book and I, that first residency of La Source du Lyon, where I met with a lot of people and could share more widely my research was so, that was like the highlight of writing the book because it was a real and superly, superly supercharged, um, energetic conversation with people who deeply cared about museums and who challenged certain things I had to say and I learned from. Um, so I think that, you know, being in conversation constantly with artists and museum directors and gallerists is really important for my work. And it's something that as I write, I also try to very much 
uh, amplify those voices. It's fascinating to see that you are not only writing about discursive museums, but actually also facilitating and participating in these conversations that um, contribute maybe to the broader discourse around um, uh, around imagined museums, discursive museums. Uh, so that's uh, a really interesting way of doing scholarship as well. Uh, to end this uh, very interesting conversation, I just want to ask you about your uh, next uh, research project, your next book, and also about its relationship uh, to all the work you've done around museums in Morocco. Thank you. So I am reaching, hopefully, the, um, the end of this writing project, um, which is about how artwork engages with mass housing sites. Um, so there's a rich architectural history about colonial modernity and colonial era modernist architecture in the Maghreb writ large. And after actually visiting the Benemsi Community Museum and starting to think about that and enter into conversation with Samir Azhar, I became very interested in shanty towns, how they were being represented in historiography and how we write about them. And I started to think of shanty towns as these mass housing projects that emerged from modernity. And my first sort of scholarship around that was really literary. So my training is in comparative literature. And I read these novels and I thought, what is going on here? Like there's a novels about shanty towns past and present in Morocco. And yet these novels were kind of casting at what I call this aesthetics of immobility on that history, on those people. But this was a site of containment, very like Fanon, zone du non-être. Nothing good is coming of that. And the, the novels can, in some ways contributed, especially uh, Mahi Binbin's novel, really contributed to this kind of discourse that these are people who are stuck living in the mud. And so from the community museum, which I knew from the oral interviews that actually know there's this vibrant cultural life that's being erased by cultural production. So that became the first question and it led to this larger project, which doesn't look just at shanty towns, but actually at um, some of the like grand ensemble and apartment buildings that were built. And what I wanted to look at was how art gives us a different perspective into that history. So tied to museums, but now really looking at visual art and literary and performance-based art. And just to give you a quick rundown, in Morocco, I look at Casablanca and there um, in the High Mohammedi area, um, Atbat Afrique was incredibly active. There was a lot of architectural innovation. We read about that through architectural history. Um, but what I was interested in is looking at contemporary artists, visual artists such as like Ito Barada, but also performance artists like um, Maryam Jazuli, who are working in these sites. Um, dancers like Lahzen Zinoun, who create a film um, about uh, the Cité Sosika where he grew up and how these very small spaces, these modernist cubes sort of fail to contain, in fact, um, or how their art, let's put it that way, uh, sort of breaks the boundaries of these spaces. So I look at that site, I look in Algiers, I look at the Climat de France, like enormous housing project um, that was built to house 50,000 people and how different novels, but then photography, I look at Stéphane Couturier and then Hamid Rahish, who is an early career photographer who lives in Climat de France and Amina Minya and how they're rethinking sort of the archives, but actually that chapter is more about how do they articulate an anti-colonial 
relationality. So oftentimes we think of housing projects as closed in upon themselves. The popular press says, you know, crime, whatever, drug dealing, but actually they're these incredibly vibrant sites of relation. And in uh, Stéphane Couturier's film, he shows Hamid holding a, um, a phone and on the phone, Hamid is showing um, archival footage from when the building was first built. And all the residents know the history of Climat de France and it's like remarkable architectural innovation of the time. And they're reproducing it in these really interesting ways. They're connecting the dots, like Amina Menya often talks about, like these missing or these absences in the record. And so I was really interested how they were doing that through relation. And then the third part looks at Nanterre and how especially, I mean, throughout the book, I'm looking at women and how they're challenging this very male architectural record um, through that artwork. Um, and this looks at Nanterre and the photography of Monique Arvaux, but also the work of Merti Lalawi and thinking about sort of intimate domestic space as a space of anti-racist um, and decolonial work. So. I'm very excited about that. There are a lot of visual artists. It's not an art history in the traditional sense, but what it is in my thinking is a way of thinking with art and how, do, how does being attentive to sort of the affects, especially so I look at affect theory a lot, but how art builds these other worlds that then um, do something, disrupt, let's say the, the record or create new, I don't know, new sites of discussion or new terms for possible solidarities. And so that is the project. It's called Poetics of Repair. We'll see if that sticks, but, um, but that's the current project. And again, it comes out th through this idea of how do we pay attention and listen to sort of silences in the record, whether that's, and in my, in my writing, that's been like, whether that's from museums, people saying there are no museums. Okay, let's push that a bit further. Where does that silence come from? to now thinking about like, oh, these are just sites of like crime and poverty. Well, let's push that further and listen to those silences. Fantastic. Thank you so much for this conversation. And it was great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Macrobian Past and Present Podcasts. To see related slides, please visit our website www.themagrippodcast.com Other episodes are also available on iTunes and Podbean. For more information on our podcasts, visit our Facebook page Macrobian Past and Present Podcasts Subscribe to SEMA newsletter at www.sema-northafrica.org to SEMAT newsletter at www.sematmagrib.org and to Talim newsletter at legation.org or visit the webpage of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies. See you soon for a new episode.